Hey sis, welcome to another episode of the When Marriage Hurts podcast. So this is episode number 21 and the topic is, has your marriage become your idol? So essentially in this episode, we'll be um, examining what marriage has become in the church and um, our attitude towards marriage the kind of devotion that we have to marriage and we'll see if that's in line with scriptures or if it aligns with God's original purpose for marriage. So has marriage become an idol or have we placed marriage in its right place? I promise it's going to be an eye-opening episode. So just sit back and relax, get comfortable free of distractions as we examine this topic i'll see you on the other side hey sis welcome to the when marriage hurts podcast i'm your host ola davis My mission is to help Christian women in painful marriages become aware of the marriage lies our society and religion has programmed our heads with. Are you tired of marriage advice that always blames you for whatever goes wrong in your marriage? Have you attended all the marriage seminars seeking help only to be blamed and shamed for your marriage problems? Has your marriage become the source of your greatest pain? Have you lost hope of being happily married? Are you just hanging in for the sake of your kids? I've been there before. I know what it is like to feel alone in marriage, yet feel trapped by the wedding vows that I made. Together, we will discover scriptural truths that set us free from the pain so that healing can begin. Oh yeah, let's shake some tables. Welcome back. Um, So like I said, this episode is talking about marriage and taking a look at the place that we've given to marriage, not only in today's society, but specifically in the church. So we're looking at specifically in the church. God is the author of marriage. So I believe in examining this kind of topic, we really, really have to look at marriage from the biblical perspective, or should I say the Christian perspective or church perspective. Um, I'm, I hope that this episode isn't going to be a super long one, so I might be talking a little bit too fast. <laughs> Uh, if need be, you could listen to the episode more than once. Okay, so let's get started. As your marriage become an idol or as it become your idol, first of all, what's an idol? So according to Webster Dictionary, an idol is an object of extreme devotion, Now, I know when we look in the Bible, when it talks about idols, it's usually represented by maybe a statue, something made out of wood, out of metal, out of gold, out of, you know, that something to that effect. Um, But really an idol is anything that takes 
the place of God in our lives. So the dictionary defines it as an object of extreme devotion. Another definition by the Webster Dictionary is a representation or symbol of an object of worship. So from both definitions, we can see that an idol has to do with devotion, extreme devotion. It has to do with worship, something we ascribe um, so much what to. So now in answering the question, has our marriage become an idol? We've looked at the definition of idol. Now, what is marriage? Marriage is a representation of Christ and the church. Like we can see this in the Bible in Ephesians chapter 5, where it really draws this comparison between Christ and the church and marriage between a man and a woman. Now, when people, especially as Christians, when we think about idolatry, we we tend to think, oh, that's um, that's when someone isn't worshiping the true God and they're going after, you know, they're practicing some other form of religion or maybe they're obsessed with money or with their career or whatnot. Um, but, you know, marriage is a tricky one because it's not a bad thing, right? Because when people think of something becoming an idol in your life, it's usually associated with something bad. So maybe someone is addicted to drugs and that's become like an idol in their life. Maybe someone is an alcoholic and that's become an idol in their life. Maybe, you know, those kind of things. (laughs) But marriage is a good thing. So how can a good thing become an idol. Marriage is a representation of Christ and the church. It's supposed to remind us of God's love. It's not supposed to become this object of extreme devotion. And what do I mean by that? In the church today, marriage has become is almost put on the same level of holiness and righteousness. You know, Christ is our holiness, Christ is our righteousness, but it's almost as if you are not able to reach or attain God's best for your life until you've gotten married. And that's really sad. (laughs) That is really, really sad. Now, if you, if you disagree with me, I just want you to view this objectively. Now, if you go to, um, if you belong to a church where this isn't true, well, I just want you to know that you are in the minority, okay? For most of us, church experience for single people is usually and typically weird, you know, now for people who are really young, like teenagers and people in their early 20s, maybe not so much. But when you start to approach your 30s, mid 30s, 40s, and you're single, like single, not married, never married before, or even if once married or whatever, people 
it's like people start to get worried about you in some ways. You know, like there's something not right with you. Like they need to help fix you up with someone. It's like singleness becomes this almost like an ailment. And the cure is for them to fix you up with someone nice that you can get married to. And this is true for both men and women. Maybe there's more pressure on women, but it's really true for both men and women. And where this comes from, I really have no idea. It's not like we can't really argue that this is what Christ taught. Jesus was single. <laughs> as far as we know, Paul the Apostle was single. And these people, were they were still able to carry out God's purpose and vision for their lives. Think about it. So as much as marriage is a beautiful thing, it's something to be desired. It's not something that defines our worth as Christians. It's, it doesn't, oh my goodness, okay, I'm going to say something profound now. Marriage does not make us holy. I remember reading a book years ago. I don't even remember what the, what the, you know, title of the book is, but it's one of this Christian marriage books. And honestly, if you see a marriage book that's Christian, it doesn't really mean it's Christian. There's a lot of garbage out there. Anyway, so I read this book years ago. And at that time, I completely agreed with the author, right? Because I didn't know any better. <laughs> so this book said then that marriage isn't supposed to make us happy. It's supposed to make us holy. Oh my, I wish I could remember the author. I can't even remember the author's name. But this guy was saying that marriage is not supposed to make us happy. It's supposed to make us holy. And, you know, thinking back on that now, that's such a weird concept. Marriage, God didn't create marriage to make us holy. Think about it. If marriage was supposed to make us holy, Jesus would never have had to come. We would just have had to, everybody would just have had to, you know, get married and we'll all be holy. So I don't know it's such a bizarre idea when someone thinks that, oh, marriage is just supposed to make you holy, just makes you closer to God. Actually, it doesn't. Because even Paul said in the Bible that he prefers that people stay single so that they can be devoted to God. Because married people, you know, have to be devoted to their spouses and kids and whatnot. Now, does that make marriage a bad thing? No. Does it necessarily make marriage a distraction? Well, not necessarily, but there's a potential for that right? So God never created marriage to make us holy. But in the church today, mar marriage has been so elevated to that level of something that it's almost like married people have attained a level of holiness and righteousness that single people haven't. 
which is kind of sad because single people are the ones that are, you know, that should, um, that really have an advantage of being able to serve God in ways that married people might not have the time freedom to do that. Now, as human beings, we have this predisposition towards idolizing or worshiping something created by God rather than God himself. There are people who worship the sun. There are people who worship animals. There are people who worship the moon and stars and and that kind of thing. And marriage is has kind of become like that too. Where it's become this thing that we have such extreme devotion towards. Now, if what I'm saying is still sounding like parables to you, um, let me let me attempt to explain it this way. Like if you're listening to this and you're still like, well, I still don't get it. How can marriage be an idol? I'll give you a few tips here to recognize if marriage has become your idol. Identity, for instance. Let's look at identity. What? Who are you? Who are you? Like if someone were to approach you now and say, who are you? You would probably say, my name is such and such. Um, and then how, like how, how would you introduce yourself? Aside from stating your name, how would you introduce yourself? Does our identity stem from the fact that we are married to such and such person? Does our identity stem from wife of so-and-so? What's your identity rooted in? When you were single, I mean, especially for those who didn't get married super early, when you were single and then you got married, did you feel better about yourself, about the fact that you were able to introduce yourself as Mrs. Such and Such? Like, did you have, did it give you, you know, a a higher self-esteem or did you just have the same self-esteem you had as a married, as a single person? So that's an important question because, you know, as Christians, our identity is supposed to be rooted in God. The wife, even though we're somebody's wife, that's not our true identity. You know, because if if our identity is rooted in being married to someone, that that implies that before that marriage we had no identity, or that we might have had an identity, but it kind of changed after marriage, which isn't true. Now your last name may have changed; you may have acquired the title of Mrs., but your true identity is rooted in Christ. That is who you are. You are God's creation. You are not just God's creation. You're God's own daughter. You're God's beloved daughter. The one that he thought precious enough to save. That he decided to come to this earth in the form of a man. 
so that it can feel your pains and it can die for you. So that is who you are. That's your identity. You are a child of God. Now, are you married? Are you a mom? Are you someone's daughter? Are you someone's sister, someone's aunt? You know, yes, yes, yes. We have all these relationships, right? But that's not where our identity stems from. So if your identity is rooted in marriage, then marriage has become your idol. So it means that you you would do anything to hang on to a marriage, whether or not it's healthy, whether or not it's toxic. You see where I'm going with this now? Okay, so that's identity. Let's look at peace, P-E-A-C-E. What brings you peace? What steals your peace or what robs you of peace? Think about it. Where does your peace come from? You know, Isaiah 26, 3, it says you will keep in perfect peace. All will trust in you. All whose thoughts are fixed on you. So it's saying there that God keeps in perfect peace those who trust in him and whose thoughts are fixed on him. So if peace is lacking in our lives, it's because in some ways we our trust in God is shaky. It could also mean that our thoughts aren't fixed on God. Because the Bible makes us to understand that When our thoughts are fixed on him and we trust in him, we will be at peace. Peace is not a function of your external circumstances. It's something that comes from within. It's something that comes from within. So it's possible to be going through a separation, to be going through a divorce, or to be having a difficult marriage. And still have peace. It's possible to be having, you know, family issues, maybe with the kids, maybe have troubled kids, um, or have kids that are struggling with one thing or the other, or have kids that have health issues, you know, those kind of things, health problems, and still have peace. So peace is not a function of our external circumstances. So going back to the to the to the question I asked a few moments ago, what brings you peace? Or who is the source of your peace? Yeah, I think that might be a better way to ask the question. Who is the source of your peace? Is it God? Is it your kids? Is it your spouse? What robs you of your peace? Like if you're at peace right now, what could possibly happen that robs you of that peace? Is it your spouse? Does your peace meter go up and down based on how your spouse treats you? 
Does your peace meter go up and down based on how your kids treat you? These are very hard questions to answer, aren't they? I mean, it might not be so difficult to answer because you might be like, oh yeah, my, my husband robs me of my peace. But when you start looking at it from the point of view that whatever brings me peace is what's taking the place of God in my life. <laughs> so if it's your finances, if that's what brings you peace, then your priorities might be out of whack. Now, is it good to have money? Of course, it's good to have money. But that shouldn't be the source of our peace. God should be the source of our peace. Our trust should be in him. So when we are rooted in God in that way, these external circumstances, they might be good, they might be bad, they might be, you know, whatever. But our peace is unshaken. So if our peace becomes primarily a function of how our spouse treats us, then something isn't right. Okay, I'll go to the third point, which has to do with our mind. Our mind, our thoughts, our will, our emotions. So who, who dominates, who or what dominates your mind? What dictates your thoughts, your emotions, your will? Outside of your marriage, do you have a sense of purpose? Or is your purpose all wrapped up in your marriage? Like if this marriage is taken away from you, do you still have a sense of purpose? Do you, would you still feel like you have a reason to leave or something to live for? even outside of your kids? What's your typical day like? What are the kind of thoughts that dominate your mind? Are you almost always engulfed in thoughts of how to fix your marriage? Now, I'm not saying, see, people have marriage problems, okay? If you've listened to this podcast for any length of time, you know that I always make dis distinctions uh, between abuse and marriage problems. If you're in an abusive marriage, you don't have marriage problems. Okay? it's That's not marriage problems. You know, marriage problems is the normal problems people have in marriage. Like even in unhealthy marriage where maybe they they have trouble resolving conflicts and whatnot. So if in 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 um in a case of an LD marriage where they're just having marriage issues, even if one's thoughts is wrapped up in how to resolve that, it's usually a short term thing, right? So maybe they would go see a counselor, go talk to, go do couples therapy or whatever, and then the issue gets resolved over time, right? So it's not like a lifelong thing. It's not like a long-term thing. 
So if a healthy couple is in that situation where they're having issues in their marriage, it's possible for one's thoughts to be, you know, so wrapped up in how to get that resolved. But in the case of an abusive marriage, what I found that, or at least in my own um in my own situation is that it's not just a short-term thing. It's long-term. It's like never ending. I con- I found out that my thoughts were always wrapped up in my marriage and how it's just, I can't seem to like hold it together and how, you know, my, my spouse was treating me badly and how my thoughts were constantly wrapped. Now, when I was in the middle of this, I wasn't really conscious of it. But when I came out of it, that's when I could look back. And in hindsight, I'm like, oh, my goodness, I wasted so much time, so much energy just being engulfed in (laughs) the difficulties I had with my spouse that it just became this big thing in my life that completely ruled me, ruled my emotions, ruled my thoughts almost 24 seven. Now there would be those small snippets of time where I wasn't thinking about the problems I had with my spouse, but it was overwhelmingly most of the time. Okay. (laughs) That I, I just didn't have so much space in my brain or my mind to think about other things except my marriage like I could be out with friends and somewhere in my subconscious in the back of my mind I'm thinking about my marriage (laughs) so you know that bible verse that I, I I read a few minutes ago that says um you will keep in perfect peace all will trust in you whose thoughts are fixed on you yeah my thoughts were almost always fixed on my marriage not on God so God was kind of like in the back seat and my marriage was like in the driver's seat and it just took over my life essentially. So do you have a sense of purpose outside of marriage? As your marriage becomes something that has taken over the driver's seat of your life, because if it has, then it's become an idol. It's taking the place of God unfortunately. Now, ask yourself this. Do you feel like you were created for your marriage or do you feel like your marriage was created for you? That's a deep question. Do you feel like you were created for this marriage? Like the sole reason why you exist is for this marriage or do you feel like this marriage is something that was created for you, is something that should um, serve you and help you fulfill God's purpose for your life. So we're asking some really deep and important questions here. And, you know, these questions you might not, I don't even recommend that you rush um, into trying to answer you might really need to think about it before you come up with um, accurate answers for yourself. So if we come to a place where we are like, well, you know, it's not that I don't honor God 
but I do think that my marriage may have taken the place of God in my life. How do we go forward from here? How do we move forward? How do we get to a place where we no longer idolize our marriage? Not that we don't care about the marriage anymore, but we put first things first. We put God first, right? Because when we put the thing about idolizing things or people is that when we do that, our life would never find any kind of balance. So it is when we put God first in our lives, everything else finds balance. So how do we not idolize marriage? Now, we, we, we defined idol as something of extreme, something that we, we, uh, that we are extremely devoted to. So the way not to idolize marriage is to put God in that place that is rightfully is by making God the object of our extreme devotion. Because if you, if you stop idolizing marriage and you don't put God in that rightful place, you're going to put something else. <laughs> you know, the throne of your life is never going to be empty. Wow, I should say that again. The throne of your life is never going to be empty. There's always going to be someone or something sitting there. So it could be your marriage, it could be your spouse, it could be money, it could be your career, it could be so many things, it could be God, right? But whoever or whatever sits there is what's going to rule your life. But that throne is never going to be empty. There's always going to be something or someone sitting there. So by making God the object of our extreme devotion, then it means God sits on, the, on, on that throne. We tend to see everybody worships something. That's the truth. Even people that proclaim that, even, even self-proclaimed atheists, um, that, you know, people that don't believe that God exists, they still worship something. <laughs> That's the thing. As human beings, it's just, we just gravitate towards worshiping something or someone. Every human being idolizes something or someone. Even atheists engage in worship. Not worshiping God, but they still worship something. Whatever um, they give extreme devotion to in their lives is what they worship. So when we put God in his rightful place in our lives, when we let him sit on that throne in our lives, when we are able to love God well, with all of our, our hearts, all, all, all of our mind, all of our soul, then we are able to love other people. We are able to love our spouse well. We are able to love our children well. Now, someone might think, Ola, but I've been loving my spouse, you know, for so many years now, and I just continue to be abused. Well, maybe... And I don't want you to take this the wrong way. I'm saying this from a place of love. Maybe you aren't really loving your spouse well. Because sometimes when we, what we call love 
A lot of times, it's just enabling bad behavior. But when we've put our spouses in that, on that throne, essentially, where our spouses are now the ones ruling our lives, dominating our thoughts, our wills, our emotions, our mind, we will continue to do things that that are detrimental to our own emotional health, that is detrimental to our own growth, but we confuse it with love. We think we are loving our spouse. Meanwhile, we're really not. We're just enabling our spouse's bad behavior. And because we have kind of lost our footing, because our uh, we're not staying rooted in God, we just continue to go down the spiral, Right? But when we put God back in that place in our lives and we love him well and we continue to draw closer and closer to him, it helps open our eyes to the fact that what we're calling love isn't really love as far as, you know, how we treat our spouse. So we're able to love our spouse well. We're able to draw boundaries. Because that's, you know, the, the love. People think that when you talk about love, you can't talk about boundaries. But that's not true. For you to love someone well, you must respect their boundaries and they must respect yours. God respects your boundaries. Yeah, he does. That's what healthy love is. If God didn't respect your boundaries, he wouldn't give you a choice of who to worship. Right? Like we would just all worship God like robots. Or robots. I don't know. Is is that what robots? <laughs> so we would all just worship God like puppets. Right? Yeah, so God gives us that free will to choose whether we're going to worship him or not. And that's boundaries right there. That's an expression of love, the God kind of love. So when we're letting our spouses walk all over our heads, when we let them just do whatever and not respect our boundaries, we're not loving them well. So I know that for a lot of women that listen to this podcast is because you're in a painful marriage. It's because most likely you're being abused, whether physically, emotionally, financially, psychologically, right? I want you to know today that the state of your marriage is not a yardstick for measuring God's love for you. The state of your marriage is not an indication of your worth and value. Your worth and your value is in God. And that's where you need to go back to. When we're rooted in God's love, when we put God back on that throne of our lives, even if your marriage does not improve or get better, so long as you're rooted in Christ 
and your sense of purpose is derived from God and not your marriage, you're going to do fine. Now, am I saying you're not going to have difficulties if you choose to leave your marriage, if you choose to separate or even divorce, or if you choose that you're going to stay in that marriage, but you're not going to let it swallow you up? You're still going to have challenges. But you know that you're not going to walk alone. You know that you will be you, you're established in God's love. You're rooted in Christ. You draw your strength from him. So when you know that you're not going to walk alone, you can walk through the toughest situations and not drown in that. But if your sense of worth, your sense of value, your sense of purpose is wrapped up in your marriage, you're going to find yourself engaging in some kind of compromises that that's going to harm you in the long run. You're going to give place to the devil. You're going to give place to situations where your spouse will just almost like have a license to control and rule your life and that's how the enemy attacks us essentially so I hope this episode's helped someone out I hope I've given you questions to ponder on I hope I've given you reasons to reevaluate your relationships in general, not just your marriage, but your, your relationships with friends, with family, with parents, and to really see, um, to really ask yourself, who have I put in the driver's seat of my life? Yeah, I think that's a good place to end this episode. Asking that question, who have I put in the driver's seat of my life? Is it my spouse? Is it my kids? Is it my parents, my friends, or is it God? Well, until I come your way next week, it's been so much fun hanging out with you on this episode. Um, please go to our Facebook. Enter your pin to unlock the device. Okay, I don't know why my phone does that when I'm in the middle of recording an episode, but please go to our Facebook group. When Marriage Hurts, we're also on Instagram, When Marriage Hurts, and you can feel free to send me a direct message. I always, always, always love hearing from my listeners. If you have a prayer request, do not hesitate to shoot that out to me, and I will see you next week. Do have a wonderful week ahead. Has this podcast blessed you? If yes, please head over to Apple Podcasts when marriage hurts and leave a written review for the show. It would be such a blessing to me to know that this show has impacted you in some ways. Also, share this podcast with a friend. Let's spread the word. Lastly, if you would like to be a part of a community of like-minded women of faith who are on a journey to living the best life God has for them despite their marriage challenges, join our Facebook group, When Marriage Hurts. Until next time, remember the words of Jesus. Come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest.